Welcome to the wicket. Hello, and it's your local weekly stay at the Wicket, a podcast from Arab News looking at the world of cricket locally in the Gulf, regionally across Asia and worldwide. I'm Brian Murgatroyd, and with me to discuss and analyse events across the sport are Arab News columnist John Pike and Arab News cricket reporter Sebash Hamagain. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. And in this episode... We speak about India's thrashing of England in the third test in Rajkot, which has given the home side a 2-1 lead in the five-match series. The ACC Women's Premier Cup in Thailand, with the UAE winning the 16-team tournament to set themselves up for the T20 World Cup qualifier later this year. Australia's women secure a comprehensive test win against South Africa off the back of Annabelle Sutherland's all-round brilliance. The conclusion of the two-test series between New Zealand and South Africa's men's teams. We speak of white ball action between Sri Lanka and Afghanistan. We wrap up the DP World ILT20 and chat about the start of the Pakistan Super League. We speak of the start of the World Cup League 2 in Nepal. We discuss the latest fallout from the Abu Dhabi T10 of 2021 as another individual is handed a lengthy ban. We remember Mike Proctor, a genuinely great player who's passed away. And John and Sebash give us their highlights of the past week in cricket. So as ever, lots to cover. So let's get started. We begin with India against England. And India, having lost the first test in Hyderabad, have won back-to-back matches to take charge of the five-test series. The latest win being a massive 434-run success inside four days in the third test in Rajkot. India were 33 for three on the first morning, but Joe Root's drop of India captain Rohit Sharma let the home side off the hook and hundreds by Rohit and Ravindra Jadeja then saw India reach 445. England flew out of the blocks in reply and with Ben Duckett scoring a brilliant 153, the visitors were 207 for two at the end of the second day. But that was the high water mark, as thereafter a series of injudicious strokes saw them slide to 319 all out. And India then rammed home that advantage as Yashavsi Jaiswal scored his second double hundred of the series to set to England 557 to win. Ben Stokes' side subsided in less than 40 overs for 122. It was their second worst defeat in terms of runs in Test history. Only a 562-run loss in 1934 against Australia was worse. Gentlemen, there's so much to unpack here. But first and foremost, it was a terrific win for India. Subash, they were in trouble on the first morning and battled back and then battled back again on day three after Duckett's blitzkrieg had threatened to take the match away from them. Superb stuff from India. I think credit where it's due to India's decision makers, especially promoting Jadiza to that uh, top order. I think uh, in that condition, that was a big risk and that paid off. The reveal from the team in batting and in the second day, I think they did not have Aspin as well for the second the England innings but still managed to get England out. I think uh, England looked to set uh, fire, I think, after Dockett's innings, but a uh, good comeback from India. And I think despite Joshua's double turn in that innings, I think Jari was, uh, was rightly or just the player of the match and he was the impact performance in India's win. 
Yeah, impressive stuff from uh, the left arm spinning all round, particularly as he missed the previous test match through injury. John, there have been so many positives from Basball, but surely there's a need for pragmatism now and again, isn't there? This test was effectively lost in a session and a bit on day three in a headlong charge to attack, wasn't it? Well, many are arguing for that pragmatism to be introduced. Heavy criticisms come from former captains, and it is, of course, ammunition for those who've doubted the approach from the very beginning. I'm going to stick with them. I don't think they've really got much alternative other than to double down. Would the result have been any different with more, the more even-tempered approach? I suspect not that much greater. Although, uh, like many others, I do hate to see wickets thrown away. Well, John, one of the issues with that uh, charge is that they don't give their bowlers long enough to recharge. That's a, that's a major issue too, isn't it? Yes, particularly given the inexperience of the spinners and the, um, the longevity of the two quicker bowlers. Yes, it is a problem for England, and it'll be interesting to see how they address that going into the fourth test. But, Sebash, Jaiswal will take the headlines, and fair enough too, and you've mentioned about Jadeja as well. But you must have been delighted to see the success of debutants Safraz Khan and Druf Jurel, two players you've spoken of very positively in the past. How well did they do? Indeed, I was very happy to see both getting the cap, and after a long wait, I think they made it count. The social media was abuzz with reaction of Safraz's father, the emotions were enough to show how much it meant to him and Sarfaraz himself. And when he come, came into the pitch, I think he replicated it pretty much well. Uh, bad luck, he didn't get the turn in both innings, but I think he proved that he belongs in this game format. Uh, Zurel, I think he too played his part with the bat and was safe behind the stumps. That docket run out in the fourth innings, I think that set the tone for a quick victory for India. So expecting both of them to keep their place for remaining matches as well. And John, the fourth test in Ranchi is coming up quickly on the rails. Do you see any changes for England? They've made it clear that Mark Wood is unlikely to play back-to-back tests and, and James Anderson was savaged by Jai Swal in the second innings. On top of that, Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root are having wretched series with the bat. All the optimism post-Hyderabad seems to be dissolving, doesn't it? Well, it certainly uh, seems that way on the outside. Well, there are strong noises coming from within the camp. Now, I did say after the first test, the Tiger's tail had been tweaked. Um, but I suspect the Indian management has been more than very pleasantly surprised by the extraordinary response of the um, younger replacement players to show the depth of talent, which might not have serviced without the absences. England's got pretty limited options, I think. Um, Root's demise is assuming rather tragic proportions. And I think they do need to freshen up the bowling attack. But Atkinson um, and Robinson, of course, have not played and it would give the Indians something different to face. Well, in terms of India, we know Virat Kohli is still going to be absent. Jaspreet Boomra has been rested for the fourth test. KL Rahul is still not fit. But, Sabash, let's have a word on uh, Ravichandran Ashwin. He got his 500th test wicket. He had a remarkable uh, test match because mid-match he had to go for a family emergency and then came back for the last day. He's the ninth player to reach 500 test wickets and the second Indian after Anil Kumble. And of course, he could play his 100th test match in the last game of the series in Dharmashala. I think he had to wait for it, but what an achievement. I think amongst the elite names in world cricket and deservedly there, I think he is not just a successful player, but a brilliant cricketing mind too. His numbers show how important he has been for the team and been with the team for more than a decade. I think he's become the fastest to reach the landmark too. Uh, and as a bonus, his batting is only getting better. And 
his wife uh, through social media post posted that 499 to 500 has been a tough journey in personal reasons too but uh, brilliant to see him back getting that number that he has been long waiting for yes a fantastic achievement for ashwin and a fantastic win for india the fourth test starts on friday february the 23rd and we'll chat about it next time The Asian Cricket Council Women's Premier Cup has taken place in Thailand with 16 teams, including five from the Gulf region. That's Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar and the UAE. The tournament was won by the UAE with a convincing 37-run success over Malaysia in the final, and that after the UAE had beaten the hosts by four runs in the semi-final. That was a vital win. The finalists, both of them, go forward to meet Bangladesh, India, Pakistan and Sri Lanka in the Asia Cup in September. Sabash, a terrific win for the UAE. It sets them up well for that T20 World Cup global qualifier that's happening later in the year prior to the main event in Bangladesh as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think what a result for this young UAE side. I think the graph just keeps on rising for them. Uh, and this is even sweeter with these youngsters performing. I think the final win against Thailand was very important. They defended a low total something. Nepal looked more comfortable against Malaysia, but choked at the right end. And I think those are the phases that differentiates a good team with better uh, They're playing the World Cup qualifiers, UAE, and I think Asia Cup spot is booked. I think uh, women... Women's cricket in UAE has elevated to the next level. And along with that, it was very nice to see Ahmad Raza, former UAE captain, getting into the coachings of getting that big result. I think this is this will only mean good for women's cricket. Yes, uh, Ahmed Raza on the sidelines there. He was involved in the ILT20 as well. And that success for the UAE really underlines uh, growing depth in women's cricket in the country. Just think in the past year, they've lost former captain Chaya Mughal to retirement and Mahika Gore the teenage fast bowling sensation. She's switched allegiances to England, but uh, despite those absences, the side hasn't missed a beat. John, I guess one has to reflect as well that the biggest shock was Thailand's failure to secure a top two spot. They weren't helped by having to face the UAE in that semi-final, but uh, this is still a major blow for a team that's been considered to be one of the emerging forces in the second tier of women's cricket, isn't it? It's a massive blow. It's a real step backwards, not being able to chase 70. Um, that comes on the back of uh, failing to chase 70 back in September in the um, World Cup qualifier final. So um, something um, obviously seriously wrong with uh, the Thailand women's batting at the moment. Yes, real problems for them. Well, this tournament has followed hot on the heels of the men's ACC Challenger Cup, which was won by Saudi Arabia. And you can find details of that at the Arab News website, including reports by Richard Lockwood on the Saudi matches in Bangkok. It's all at www.arabnews.com forward slash cricket. There's also a great article there by John on Japan's continuing development. So it's well worth your time to get across to the site for a closer look. Australia's women, having shown vulnerability against South Africa in white ball action with two defeats, returned to their awesome best in the one-off test between the two sides at the Wacker Ground in Perth with an innings and 284-run win that sealed the multi-format series. 
The match was basically settled by lunch on day one, when South Africa, without their talismanic all-rounder Marizan Cap, who was ill, were reduced to 55 for eight. And after they were bowled out for 76, Australia then piled on the runs. Annabelle Sutherland made 210. Captain Alyssa Healy scored 99, just missing out on achieving the feat of scoring hundreds in all three formats. Beth Mooney weighed in with 78. And although South Africa fought hard on day three, they were still no match for the Australian juggernaut. Sebash, you've spoken in the past of your admiration for Annabelle Sutherland. And what an innings this was. You can throw in the fact she took five wickets in the game too. And it adds up to uh, quite a match for her. A treat to eyes, I think. A marathon innings with some big hits too early into her test career. And took no time that she belongs here. Uh, experienced teammate have spoken high of her. And she goes on to prove it in the field. I think uh, even after such long innings, I think Hilly opened up how eager she was to contribute with the ball too. And picking up five wickets in victory, I think with... Perry's career coming towards the end, Australia have got her like-to-like replacement. And the fact that Perry handed her the test cap and spoke high of her, I think it's going to be a special journey for her. John, a chastening loss for South Africa at the end of the tour, but plenty of good things to take home all the same. The tests or 50s for Delmi Tucker and Chloe Tryon and uh, Masabata Class was a handful with the new ball as well. Where does this tour and the test match leave them? Well, chastened, as you say, um, there's a big gulf between Australia, India, England and the other countries in the long format. It can be closed occasionally in the shorter formats, especially you know, T20, the great leveller. But if you don't play the longer formats, how can you learn? It's a matter really of how the cricket boards will support player development and the format. Yes, it's a good observation that. And we shall see, particularly in terms of South Africa, how they support their players going forward. But a really terrific tour and a thoroughly enjoyable one too. Key players from both Australia and South Africa women's sides will now head to India for the second edition of the Women's Premier League, which gets underway on Friday the 23rd of February. There are five teams, Mumbai Indians, the champions, UP Warriors, Delhi Capitals, Royal Challengers, Bangalore and Gujarat Giants. Subash, what are your expectations for the tournament? Well, I think more visibility for the women's game. The first edition set the tone and I think this will make it even grand. Last edition was held in Mumbai. This time, I think they'll have two cities in Bengaluru and Delhi. So expecting more viewership than before. Uh, India has set a benchmark in IPL with the men's game. So expecting similar with the WPL going forward. John Catherine Bryce of Scotland has been drafted by the Gujarat Giants. We've spoken of that actually previously on this podcast. She's going to line up alongside Ashley Gardner Beth Mooney and Phoebe Litchfield. What are your expectations for Bryce in this tournament and indeed the Gujarat Giants? Well, to learn and improve. I think it's a fabulous opportunity for her to develop her skills and mental techniques. And how long, John, do you think before we see a full-blown franchise system around the world for the women, as is the case in the men's game? Well, that's a big question, Brian. As you know, there are different models in play at the moment. It took India quite a while to come around to a women's T20 equivalent uh, to the men's IPL. You know, the BBL is a hybrid, as is the 100. And the standard argument is that the women's game doesn't generate the commercial revenue equivalent to the men's game. Against that, you know, how do you know that's really the case and, until you try and develop it further? And it is a little bit sad that commercial imperatives um, drive equality of opportunity for the women's game. You ask how long? Um, well, South Africa are talking about uh, women's tournament. I think it's probably going to take five years. 
Yes, it's going to be fascinating to follow that journey, particularly of the full members, to see uh, how far and uh, how soon they decide to uh, throw their hats in the ring. Those full members uh, in the uh, within the ICC who haven't already invested in a, a large scale women's event. Sebash, who do you think will win the tournament and why? Uh, capitals are favourites for me. I think they have a good blend of local and foreign players. Meg is back leading the masculine in Safari and Sutherland. So I think well-rounded team and got to have that last year's final defeat, I think they'll better this time. And John, what's your opinion? Who do you think will get over the line? I think um, Mumbai Indians will stand favourites, but very closely followed by uh, by the Capitals. Uh, Mumbai have added uh, Shabman Ismail to bolster their pace attack, which um, I think was a bit light last year. That might mean less game time for Izzy Wong. They do have such a strong set of all-rounders. Now they've got Nat, but Haley Matthews, Amelia Kerr. The Capitals, of course, have got Sutherland, and I think we probably uh, all would expect her to have a better campaign in this year than in 2023. So I think it's a bit, um, bit close to call. Yes, one thing's for sure. We're going to see some terrific cricket in that Women's Premier League. And, of course, we'll keep across the action here at The Wicket. The second test of the New Zealand-South Africa test series went the way of the first with a New Zealand victory, although this one was a lot closer than the final margin of uh, victory by seven wickets might suggest. The weakened Proteus side that featured six debutants in the first match in Mount Monganui as Cricket South Africa prioritised the SA20 tournament actually took a first innings lead in the second match in Hamilton before a combination of a batting collapse and then a match-winning 100 by Kane Williamson, his third three-figure score in four innings of the series, secured that victory for the home side. Sebash, David Beddingham scored 110 for South Africa, his maiden test 100, and his four scores in the series were 32, 87, 110 and 39. Was he the main positive for the visitors in an otherwise chastening couple of tests, or did you see other pluses? I think Beddingham pulled out his name from SAT20 to play red ball cricket and well performed. I think when we are seeing players pulling out of centre contracts to prioritise franchise league. I think this is a very different approach from him. The way he held the innings, I think uh, he's in line to be in place for the senior team after the players return as well. I think he's a huge plus to see such commitment along with the performance. Uh, after uh, Beddingham, I think Dane Piet also made his name getting the nod after five years gap and could be in line for backup spinner to Maharaj. Yes, it's going to be interesting to see what Dane Pett does because uh, he's uh, based in the US these days. So uh, whether he actually makes the jump back to South Africa to try and uh, follow up on this uh, performance in New Zealand remains to be seen. John, it was good and bad news for New Zealand, that uh, victory in the second test and indeed the series success. They've lost Kyle Jamieson again to another stress fracture of the back. But, and this is the big but, William O'Rourke has emerged in his place at just the right time with nine wickets in the match. He's an exciting prospect, but what a dreadful loss to see uh, Jamieson sidelined again. Yes, one fears for Jameson. We know that DK really overcame a similar problem, um, but this is number two for Kyle. Doesn't look um, not very good. 
New Zealand's got an amazing ability of springing newcomers, and you know, Rourke's the latest in in that line. They're such a small population, the, de- the development of cricketing talent really is impressive, and they continually punch above their weight. Yes, very impressive indeed from O'Rourke, and ultimately impressive from New Zealand as well to win that series 2-0. They were expected to do so. So to that extent, you could argue that pressure was on them to perform, and that's exactly what they did. South Africa have headed home now to lick their wounds, but for New Zealand, there's a small matter of a T20i series against Neighbours Australia as part of both sides' build-ups to the T20 World Cup, followed by two tests. We'll chat about those T20i's next time here at The Wicket. Sri Lanka have continued to enjoy themselves against Afghanistan, winning the second T20I of their three-match series. The first T20I saw Wanindu Hasaranga impress with bat and ball, including 67 from 32 deliveries. And then Matisha Patirana was terrific to take four for 24 and see the hosts through to a four-run win. The series was then sealed with a match to spare as Angelo Matthews in game two made 42 not out from just 22 deliveries. John, Sri Lanka are now starting to play with a confidence we haven't seen from them for a while now. Yes, much better. And it's really good to see. I think the return of Angelo Matthews has added all-round strength plus experience. And the captaincy change also seems to be working. Hasaranga has claimed his 100th T20 wicket. And I think they've probably now um, got pretty good hopes of of a good World Cup. Yes, uh, always the key with Sri Lanka, of course, is their ability to keep uh, players on the park, particularly bowlers. So that's going to be something to keep an eye out for as the T20 World Cup gets a little closer. But Sabash... What to make of Afghanistan? Do you think they're making progress? One thing's for sure, they're going to be absolutely delighted to leave Sri Lanka. It's been a fairly miserable tour for them, hasn't it? Well, they are getting some performance, but not getting the end result so far yet. I think the first match was well within their grasp. I think Patrana's double wicket in 19th overturned the game over. And in the second, I think they did really get going after the poor show from top order. But uh, they're more likely to do, get result in this format because of expectation from the individuals there apply their trade around the world. So I think the starter format is for them, but they're not getting the results they want. Well, at the end of this tour, Afghanistan will head straight to the UAE for a multi-format series against Ireland with a test match in Abu Dhabi, followed by three one-day internationals and three 2020 internationals. All the white ball matches in that Afghanistan-Ireland series taking place in Sharjah. The UAE's own 2020 tournament, the DP World ILT20, has wrapped up its second season with MI Emirates, the star team of the event, winning by beating Dubai Capitals in a one-sided final by 45 runs. MI Emirates, when they were at full strength, was certainly the best side of the tournament, but there was some controversy in the final week as playoff matches were switched around at the request of the host broadcaster Z, with the switches allowing MI to have their captain, Nicholas Puran, available for the qualifier against Gulf Giants after he returned from a T20i series in Australia for the West Indies. John, that switch, it left a nasty taste in the mouth of the other franchises. What did you make of it? The switch was a puzzle without proper explanation, as far as I could make out. One reason given was that Prime Minister Modi was in Abu Dhabi. Was it turned out to be a smokescreen since he was at a venue not very far away from the uh, 
from the cricket stadium. Of course, in an ideal world, this shouldn't happen. If I were the golf giants management, I'd be um, infuriated. But they don't seem to have very much recourse on these matters. So it doesn't give the I220 um, some level of integrity, but it does illustrate the omnipotence of um, exclusive broadcast partners. They shouldn't be picking games if that was the case. Yes, absolutely. The schedule had been out for uh, quite some time prior to the tournament and there was plenty of opportunity then for uh, switches to take place. Uh, but uh, John, also we have to ask about Nur Ahmed, the Afghanistan uh, wrist spinner who declined to be retained by Sharjah Warriors after season one and then went and played in the SA20 League. He's now been banned by the ILT20 for a season and this follows on from Naveen Ulhaq having a similar dispute with Sharjah. What do you make of it? Well, it seems to represent... Um... The early stage of a new battle between players and boards. PCCI is rattling a sabre against players who choose to opt out of Test and Ranji cricket, threatening to ban them from the IPL because we've got PCB clashing with uh, with Harris uh, Ralph. There's a sense that boards are fighting back, but I think they have to remember that you know, without players, they don't really exist. Yes, that's going to be a battle that we'll need to keep our eyes on. Sebastian, what were your impressions of the tournament? Do you regard it as a success, first and foremost? With the buzz it created and the numbers in attendance, I think it certainly was better than the previous one. A lot of big names coming in, but with that, a lot of in and outs did it make it tough for the viewers to see who played who. But overall, a success story, I think. And what about the development of UAE talent, uh, Sebastian? What did you make of that? What were your impressions of the way UAE players uh, acquitted themselves? Honestly, I think the league is not helping the UAE talents as expected. The Super Sub has only made it harder. I think UAE players have not been able to make the most of limited chance they've got. Uh, Wazim, I think he was exception. I think getting the highest run getter, winning the title, it's, it's brilliant for him and a few others. But I think overall, there should be some bending of rules if the league wants to strengthen that UAE player pool they are deciding. And John, crowds were up, as Sebash mentioned there, from season one. But as someone who witnessed the event firsthand on the ground, what were your impressions? Well, most of the matches I attended, apart from the final course, the crowds looked pretty low. The buses which brought people to the masses in Dubai parked below where I was staying. So I could gauge the crowd size before the match started by the number of parked buses. And uh, the numbers did vary quite a lot. The golf giants seem to have generated quite a lot of support, judging by the number of yellow shirts. Now, I didn't see any um, Vipers matches uh, in Dubai, but I understand these do through reasonable crowds, largely, I think, because of the, um, the Pakistan involvement. But overall, I understand that attendance is up about 300% over 2023. Um, I don't think I'm in a position to question that. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, David White, the chief executive of ILT20, and his staff take the event forward. There certainly has been progress. There's no question about that. But can they maintain that progress, particularly in the face of competing leagues elsewhere? Interestingly, and in contrast to the end of season one, there's been no announcement of dates for season two yet. We chatted about the discussions around a date for season three on our previous episode. Will it be January next year or November this year? Well, we'll wait on that one and keep you updated here at The Wicket. The PSL is underway and unlike the ILT20, it's already producing high scores and tough conditions if you happen to be a bowler. Shaheen Shah Afridi's Lahore calendars have already lost twice, 
while Shadab Khan, who endured a, a low-key stay at the ILT20, has bounced back to form with a stunning unbeaten 74 from 41 balls to lead his Islamabad United franchise to victory in the tournament opener. Subash, what have you made of events in Pakistan so far? Uh, well, the league has been competitive, but I think with lack of big names, I, I doubt it will live up to the hype that it had previous seasons. I think Bangladesh Premier League, on the other hand, has got players and they've got it for short terms. So while PSL franchises have opted for big names for a longer deal, I think the players are going around in different leagues. So they've missed out on a few big names, but I think they'll have tough competition. Yes, I saw Andre Russell turning up in uh, the Bangladesh Premier League uh, this week. So uh, you're right there. Players are doing uh, their best to shop around a little bit and see whether they can get the best deal in these uh, multiple leagues that are taking place around the world at this time of the year. John, the start of the tournament saw some negative reports surface about the fact that the PSL has been left behind in the face of these new franchise events growing in strength and prestige. There was a time just after the PSL moved back to Pakistan where it could lay claim to be the second biggest and best event outside of the IPL. Where do you think it stands now and, and how important the season is this for the PSL and Pakistan cricket? Well, SA20 has drawn impressive crowds. Um, IOT20 has attracted leading players and increased its viewership. First 18 matches reached 161 million viewers in India. Amazingly, 46% of them were women and 56% of the total being under 30. It is the second most watched franchise cricket competition and it's uh, up at the halfway stage, 12% on 2023. Uh, final figures, which will of course include the knockout stage, are awaited. Um, some players pulled out of the PSL at the last minute, and I would say that it has lost some ground to SA20 and ILT20. But, uh, time will tell if this is a permanent move. Yes, well, we'll keep across the tournament as it continues here at The Wicket. The World Cup League 2 is underway in Nepal with Namibia, the Netherlands and the hosts battling it out on the road to the next 50-over Cricket World Cup in 2027. The early matches have been an eye-opener as Namibia first of all beat Nepal. Ruben Trumpelman in that match took a wicket with the first ball of the tournament actually before Nepal bounced back to thrash the Dutch in match 2 and then the Dutch overwhelmed Namibia in match 3. Sebastian, you're on the ground there. What have you made of things so far? It's been a, a real topsy-turvy start to the tournament, hasn't it? Exciting start in terms of result with all teams getting one apiece in first round. But uh, there has been a huge advantage winning the toss uh, with 9.30 a.m. start. But uh, the teams have not started well in the morning conditions. Uh, Netherlands are expected to bounce back with quality players. They have Nepal still riding on their success in the Canada series and homes of court are searching for balance in the squad. Namibia are fighting back. I think second round will be more exciting than ever. John, Namibia impressed in match one, ending Nepal's long unbeaten home run in One Day Internationals. But I, I just can't help thinking they need to find some top batting talent to go alongside captain Herat Erasmus if they're to take the next step. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the golden generation, um, so-called 2018 to 2022, is beginning to lose its shine. Yes, it's uh, a real test for Namibia now. And as Sebash mentioned, 
a real test for all the teams, depending on the toss of the coin, because uh, there's no question at all that bowling first in these matches has been a huge advantage. The final match of the Nepal Tri-Series is on February the 25th. We'll wrap up the action from there next time. And then the focus switches to the UAE, where Canada, Scotland and the UAE start their own campaigns three days later. Regular listeners will know that we've picked up on ongoing investigations by the ICC's Anti-Corruption and Security Unit into spot and match fixing. And this week, another individual has been announced as being banned following the Abu Dhabi T10 of 2021. This time, it's UK-based cricketer Rizwan Javid, who's been banned for 17 and a half years. They really have thrown the book at him after he was found guilty of five separate charges. And this is the latest episode in the fallout from that 2021 T10 event, where multiple individuals have been charged and in one case already found guilty. That was the former Bangladesh all-rounder, Nasser Hossein. John, your reaction? I'm pretty shocked by the severity of this, relating to someone that few have heard of. His lack of contrition played out pretty badly for him. It does have the look of a sentence to discourage the others. Yes, it really has been a very severe sentence, uh, that one. Although, on the other side of the coin, there is a view, of course, that anyone found guilty of spot or match fixing should be banned for life, full stop. And, uh, well, 17 and a half years, that's uh, pretty close to it in terms of uh, a cricketing life. Sebash, this really is bad news, though, for the credibility of the T10 tournament in Abu Dhabi. They'll rightly point out that these offences were from a tournament more than two years ago. But uh, seeing their name associated with these sorts of things uh, won't do uh, their credibility any good at all, will it? I think it's not a good news for the game, be it anywhere around the world. And with these sort of formats and experimentations going on, I think... The bad guys are looking for loopholes. Good thing that they are taken care of and the message is loud and clear from the ICC. The world of cricket has been rocked by the news of the death of former South Africa all-rounder Mike Proctor. Mike was an incredible cricketer, a batter good enough to score hundreds in six successive first-class innings in 1970-71, and a fast bowler who terrorised opponents with wicked late in-swing. He was denied a lengthy international career because of South Africa's sporting isolation due to the apartheid regime, but he still scored almost 22,000 first-class runs and took more than 1,400 first-class wickets as he divided his time between his homeland and England, where he spent more than a decade playing county cricket for Gloucestershire. He later became South Africa's first men's coach post-isolation and later still was a respected match referee, although he was embroiled in two of the biggest controversies of the 2000s, First, the England-Pakistan test at the Oval in 2006, which was ruled as forfeit by the umpires when Pakistan didn't emerge from the pavilion after tea, following allegations of ball tampering. And then there was the monkey gate issue in the series between Australia and India, where Harbhajan Singh was alleged to have verbally abused Andrew Simons. John, tragic news, but what a player. What are your memories of Procky? 
No, it was a tragic end and, and, a, and a big shock. My most recent memory was uh, late summer last year when I attended an evening um, with him and Peter Hayne, who had orchestrated the anti-apartheid demonstrations of 1969-70 that did so much to end Proctor's international career. I was intrigued to know if Proctor held any animosity towards Hayne from those events. And what emerged was quite to the contrary. He said, what is the loss of an international career to the suffering of 40 million people? I wasn't expecting that, uh, that sentiment, and I think it, uh, it illustrates the, uh, the quality of the man. Yes, it sums uh, Mike up uh, very much there. I was fortunate to know him for many years, first uh, as a broadcaster when he came and worked at Sky Sports, and then as a very respected match referee, he was a pleasure always to be around. Sebash, Rocky's name, in Asia at least, will always be associated with those controversies of the forfeited test and also uh, the monkey gate issue. Uh, that's not really fair, though, is it? Because uh, he was so much more than that in the game. I think not fair at all for whatever, how good of a person he was, like John Benson and the playing career he had. I think uh, there were controversies around him in the latter role, but uh, none was result of tough conditions between the teams involved. He had nothing to do with it. Uh, after all, I think you cannot make everyone happy. And it was the situation that was the cause of uh, some unsatisfied people. Yes, you're right there, Sebash. You can't make everyone happy. But I'll tell you what, in his uh, playing career in particular, Mike Proctor came pretty close to uh, managing to buck that trend. He made a lot of people happy with uh, some fantastic performances on the field over many, many years. And it really is sad news that he's passed away at the age of 77. Finally, gentlemen, what has caught your attention from the past week of cricket Sebash, first of all. Yeah, I should highlight that Nepal A has started to play. I think the, the, it's fantastic initiation from Can to establish its A side with the amount of fixtures they are going to play. And I think it's a step in the right direction if they want to achieve that full member and destination status. Yes, that's good to know that uh, there's going to be uh, a layer between um, domestic cricket and full international cricket for Nepal to help their up-and-coming players uh, develop and take that step up. John, what has uh, attracted your attention over the past week? Attracted my attention, not necessarily in a manner of highlights, was the um, hearing of the select committee of the Department of Media, Culture and Sport in the House of Commons in the UK. It's um, maybe a bit parochial, but it was uh, an opportunity for the committee after a gap of eight months to try and uh, establish what progress had been made since the publication of the report on, on racism in the game. And it gave an opportunity for them to um, interview the new and the returning chair of Yorkshire County Cricket Club, a man who, who uh, is well known to uh, our fellow columnist um, Azim uh, Rafiq. And I think it's fair to say that uh, Mr Graves did not cover himself in, in glory. And um, I think this, uh, this particular story has uh, still got uh, a long, long way to run. And it's not a particularly good look for the game. Yes, Colin Graves back as uh, chairman of Yorkshire County Cricket Club following the uh, racism allegations and the fallout uh, around that that's uh, surrounded Yorkshire over the last uh, couple of years. And uh, the issue just doesn't go away. We'll keep an eye on it, of course, here at The Wicket for you. Well, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. We'll be back soon 
with more cricket chat from the Gulf region, Asia and worldwide. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment on what you've heard wherever you get your podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to feature in future episodes. For now, though, this is Brian Murgatroyd along with John Pike and Sebastian Hummergain saying thanks so much for listening and we look forward to your company next time.